0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to, quote-unquote, be with you this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. Again, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a, a journey through the book of Philippians, uh, looking really just at the context of this book. And one of the things that we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago is that this book is, is written out of this overflow of this really deep, meaningful relationship between Paul and this church that he had planted about 10 years before the letter of Philippians is written. And then I think in this season of social distancing, as we're kind of scattered and not able to meet with one another, I just can't think of a more important topic for us to look at this morning than to to see how we can cultivate relationships that are rooted in the gospel. How do we cultivate relationships that last for? eternity. And I think that's one of the focuses that we see here at the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Paul is writing to a church that has this type of relationship, this this relationship that is built to last, that is is rooted in eternity. And as he begins his letter to the Philippians, he he writes in this place with, uh, with gratitude. He's overcome with gratitude for the relationship that they have With one another, and as we go through these verses, uh, it's my hope, it's my prayer, that we will both be comforted, but also challenged into this type of relationship with one another. This relationship that we see on display between Paul and the church in Philippi. And if, in fact, if there's only one thing that we get out of this morning's text as we work our way through this text, I hope it's simply this: the relationships that last are rooted in the gospel and grow in love relationships that last are rooted in the gospel and grow in love. That's a universal truth. Any type of relationship that we hope will last for eternity must be rooted in the gospel and must be making strides, must be making an effort to grow in love. It doesn't matter if it is here in a local church in northwest Iowa or on the other side of the world. It doesn't matter if there are economic differences, racial differences, even theological differences. The focus here is that we must be committed to the centrality of the gospel and growing in love, if we hope for our relationships with others in the church to grow. Now here's why I think that's so important for us this morning. COVID-19, as we are scattered together, it really can't, or scattered apart, not able to meet together, really can be a, a, an important watershed moment for our church. And here's what I mean by that. We are forced out of passive relationships right now, aren't we? Passive relationships with other Christians just don't happen during the season. We can't gather together. We can't have these conversations before or after the service that center around good things, important things in our lives, things that, that matter to us, like our kids, uh, sports, family, whatever that may be. But we're not able to have those kind of conversations, and so we find ourselves in this moment where we are, are faced with two options. On the one hand, we can say, you know what? those relationships actually didn't add all that much to me, they, they didn't really matter to me, and I can actually do quite well without them, thank you very much. Or we can say, no, I want to pursue those relationships, I want to seek out these type of relationships and cultivate them then in a way that will last for all of eternity. And so as we consider this passage this morning, I, I want us to also just consider what our response in this crisis is. Will, be. will we see this as an excuse to, to retreat, or will we see this as an opportunity for us to step out in faith? Philippians 1 is this statement of thanksgiving and this prayer from Paul, and it serves as a helpful example for us this morning on how we can also cultivate these relationships with others in the local church. So let's go ahead and pray as we approach God's word, ask for God's blessing to be with us this morning. Father, we uh, do ask for your presence this morning as we are scattered uh, into all of our different homes, and we ask that you would be at work within each and every one of us to help us not only see our need for you, but also to see our need for others. And God, we we boldly ask that this morning you would stir within each and every one of us a desire for the same sort of gospel partnership that is on display between Paul and the church in Philippi thousands of years ago. And God, as we draw near to your word, we know that you alone know what each and every one of us needs and what we each need to hear, and so we ask that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak through the timeless truths of Scripture this morning to address our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, one thing that I, I love about Paul's letters is how oftentimes how easy it is for us to see the structure. And Paul's introduction here is, is relatively easy to, to see how he is, is laying things out. It splits into two parts. First, he's just talking about his thanksgiving or why he is so grateful for the church in Philippi. And, and then in verses 9 through 11, he, he explains or he prays for them. And that's really the, the structure that we'll follow this morning. First, verses 3 through 8, looking specifically at this gospel partnership between the church and Philippi and Paul. And here's our first truth to to take home this morning. Make gospel fellowship central in your relationship with other Christians. Make gospel fellowship central in your relationship with other Christians. Paul is writing to this church in Philippi while he is imprisoned in Rome. He's been imprisoned in Rome for a while. He hasn't seen them for a couple years, and yet he frequently thinks of them and vice versa. They are also frequently thinking of him. And apparently at some point, the, the church in Philippi hears of Paul's imprisonment, and they're so torn up about it, they're so distraught about his suffering that they take up this special offering for Paul, and then they send it to Rome for Paul with one of their members, or one of the people who was a part of their church, Epaphroditus. Now, in the Roman Empire, thousands of years ago, prisoners were actually, would rely solely on the the care of their friends and family for survival while they were in prison. And so, this gift from the church in Philippi to Paul is extremely important for him to be able to make it through. And it is this gift that is this expression of love. To the church, uh, from the church in Philippi to Paul, and it gives Paul the opportunity to respond with his gratitude to the church in Philippi. Consider briefly why. Three reasons why Paul is so grateful for the church in Philippi. First, Paul thanks God for the Philippians because they are a constant source of joy. They are a constant source of joy for him. Again, verses three and four. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Paul has this deep love for the church in Philippi. His prayers are always tinged with joy. Verse eight describes this deep love that he has for this church, even though they are hundreds of miles away. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves this church with the very love of Christ himself. So great is his love for this church that he actually calls God to be his witness to this genuine, deep love for them. He is unbelievably thankful for them. He is overflowing with joy because of this church. And why? The question is, why? Why is he so joyful when he thinks about this church? Is it because they sent him some money? Well, as we see in, verse, uh, in chapter 4 of Philippians, that's not the case. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble." So Paul is thankful for their gift, uh, their financial provision, this money that they have sent to him, absolutely, and yet Paul also recognizes that that isn't the main thing, that he can be content in whatever circumstance he finds himself in. Paul is more thankful for the heart that is behind this gift that the church in Philippi has sent him. This is a church that has time and time again, through great sacrifice, revealed their love to Paul for the gospel. Over and over again, they have stayed with Paul, even in his imprisonment, even in the embarrassment of of Paul, their friend, being thrown in prison, they have stuck with him. They are committed alongside Paul to the gospel while they are at home and and sharing the gospel with their friends and their family members and their co-workers and those who are in their community through this evangelism, through this genuine Christian fellowship. And they are also concerned with the gospel going to the ends of the earth, partnering with Paul in his missions to bring the gospel to people who have not yet heard the message of Jesus Christ. Here we see that Paul thanks God for the Philippians because they are a source of joy. They're the source of deep, lasting joy. And it's not because they're easy to talk to. It's not because they come from a similar background. It's not because they have similar interests. It's because they also have sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. And before we, we keep going, let's just pause and consider what, what gives us Joy in our relationships with other Christians? Think of other Christians that you have a relationship with, and and hopefully those in our church, but also those outside of our church. What is it that gives you joy in those relationships? Is it because you have kids that are a similar age? Is it because you come from similar life circumstances? Is it because that person makes you laugh? Is it because you enjoy the same sports team, or at the very least, you detest the same sports team? Now, those aren't wrong things. Those aren't bad things. Those are good gifts from God. And yet, we see from this passage, joy, lasting joy, fellowship, relationships that last must run deeper. That's what Paul expresses next in this text. First, he he thanks God for the church in Philippi, that they're a source of joy. Second, Paul thanks God for the church in Philippi and their partnership in the gospel. Notice verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want to highlight a word that we threw in there, the Greek word behind this word partnership, koinonia. We're going to come back to that here in a second. Verse 7 says something similar. Paul is, is talking about his affection for the church in Philippi, and he says this It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonments and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Notice again a word that I highlighted here in the Greek, soon koinonia. So verse 5, we have this word koinonia. Verse 7, we have this word soon koinonia. Very similar. It doesn't come together or it doesn't stand out immediately in our English translations. But these two words are, are joined together. They, they are very similar because they have the same roots. Partakers in verse 5, uh, excuse me, partners, partnership in verse 5, partakers in verse 7, uh, they, they both have at their root this word fellowship, which we commonly use in the English language, this idea of fellowship. And, and again, that's a, that's a Christian word if I've ever heard one. I don't normally talk about fellowship unless I am inside the context of the church. When I think of, of fellowship, I, I either think of, of the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring, or I, I think of this Christianized word that, that really just means relationships with or interacting with other Christians. And, and what about you? When you hear the word fellowship, what, what comes to mind for you? Perhaps for you, you think of coffee time before or after the service, when we are able to gather together, when you are talking, catching up on life. Maybe it's not even necessarily a Christian word, it's just something that that talks about interacting with others, this friendship with others. Maybe it includes having a a relationship or a meal with those who are your neighbors, regardless of their beliefs. Oftentimes, when we think of the word fellowship, or we use the word fellowship today, it doesn't mean much more than just this idea of friendship. Now, ironically, when Paul talks about this fellowship, this partnership in the gospel, this fact that that he and the church in Philippi are are partakers of grace, what he has in mind is less this idea uh, of this modernized version of Christian, uh, you know, relationships where, where we just interact with one another on a superficial level, and more actually has something to do with this idea of fellowship from Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, when it talks about the fellowship of the ring, it is this name given to this group of companions that are on a similar quest. They share a common goal. And that's exactly what Paul has with the church in Philippi. A common goal, a shared vision. Notice how one commentator describes this idea of of fellowship. In the first century, the word fellowship commonly had commercial overtones, if John and Harry buy a boat and start a fishing business, they have entered into fellowship, into a partnership. The key of true, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Let me say that again. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Both John and Harry put their savings into the fishing boat. Now they share the vision that will put the fledging company on its feet. Christian fellowship, therefore, is self-sacrificing conformity to the gospel. There may be overtones of warmth and intimacy, but the heart of the matter is this shared vision of what is of transcendent importance, a vision that calls forth our commitment. As Christians, what is at the heart of our partnership? What is it that is our shared Goal. It's the gospel, isn't it? And if it's the gospel, how can we be on mission together if we so rarely talk about the message, the shared vision that we have that unites us together in Christ Jesus? You see, Paul, he's describing when he's thanking the when he's thanking God for the the Philippian partnership, the partnership he has with this church in Philippi. He's describing this fellowship. He's describing this partnership that they have both been committed to the spread of the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is thinking back to the time in Acts chapter 16. We looked at it a couple weeks ago when he is gathering with the church in Philippi. There in those first few days and weeks and maybe even months there in Philippi where he's gathering together in Lydia's house, The Philippian jailer and his family are there with them, and he's overcome with thankfulness. Not necessarily because of the good times, as as good as they may be, not because of the laughs, as, as funny as they may be, but because of something that is infinitely deeper, that they are committed to the spread of the gospel. They have this common goal. They have this shared vision. Paul is not overflowing with gratitude because of the good times that they had watching the game together at someone's house. He's not thankful. He's not overcome with gratitude because of the lively discussions that, about what, whatever movie was, was recently released or whatever the ancient equivalent was in, in that day and age. Now, surely there were good times that, that Paul could think back to, that he could fall back on. But what matters most to Paul isn't those memories, but instead it's the fellowship, the partnership that they have In the gospel. It's not warm feelings. It is instead this singular focus, this commitment to see the gospel spread. You see, the Philippian church got it. My question is, do we? Do we understand what Paul is talking about here? What marks our relationships with other Christians? What's the content of your conversations before or after the service when we gather here in person? What's the content of, of our conversations and now that we are scattered? Take a moment, consider. When's the last time that you had a conversation concerning the gospel with another person? In our conversation, what would would Paul be able to say the same thing that he says to the church in Philippi? That that yes, we have the shared mission, the shared vision, and it is it is expressed in our relationship, our partnership with one another. Would that be able? Would we be able to say that about ourselves? As I think about this and I just think about what, what kind of culture do we want to have here at Crosswinds and this idea of discipleship, which we've talked about over the last year, two years, what does it mean for us to be a, a church of disciples, making disciples? I, I think that this is where it starts because in those conversations, if we are intentional in those conversations with those that we worship with, then it says that we expect God to be at work. If you ask someone, hey, what is God doing in your life? You are expecting God to actually be doing something in their life. You are expecting an answer. You are expecting that God is a God who is still at work today. There is this culture that begins to form about people growing in Christ, being on mission together for the sake of the gospel. Can we describe our relationship with one another in the exact same way that Paul describes his relationship with the church in Philippi. Now you might be wondering why is the centrality of the gospel important for these types of relationships with other Christians? Is because nothing deepens a relationship with another person more than having this shared commitment being on mission together, being on the same or being shooting for the same goal as as other people in the church. Nothing cultivates genuine relationships quite like partnering, fellowshipping together for the sake of the gospel. One final aspect of Paul's thanksgiving for the church in Philippi, Paul thanks God for God's faithful work in them. A couple weeks ago, I shared one of my favorite favorite verses from this book, verse six of chapter one. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is, is overcome, his heart is, is overflowing with gratitude for the church in Philippi. And, and yet, it's, it's ultimately not about them at all. Instead, it's actually about the fact that God is at work in them, that God has been faithful to be at work in them, and God will continue to be faithful to be at work in them. That's the reason why Paul has such joy about them and the the relationship. It's it's because they are partners in the gospel, but not because of, of any commitment on their behalf, but instead because God is faithful to continue working in their lives. You see, Paul thanks God for for the joy the Philippians bring him. He thanks God for this partnership that they have in the gospel, the sacrificial commitment to the gospel alongside of Paul. And he thanks God because God is at work in them and will continue to be at work in them. And that's the foundation of his relationship with the church in Philippi. Now, question, what what does this look like for us Today? How about a challenge? This week, I want you to all reach out to someone that you talk to regularly, preferably from our church, someone that you talk to regularly, and I want you to reach out to them. But instead of talking about the regular things like, you know, sports, kids, work, COVID-19, whatever you normally talk about, and I want you to start your conversation with one question. What is God doing in your life right now? How have you seen God at work in your life in this last week, last month, since this social distancing and and this quarantine started? What if we became a people who build this into our lives as a habit right now? That doesn't mean that we... Can't talk about other things, that there's no other, there's no room to talk about other topics. But if we never talk about our relationship with Jesus in the interaction with other Christians, is our relationship with them really founded on what matters? Are we really in partnership? Are we really fellowshipping with other Christians if we never even talk about the fact that we have a shared mission and shared vision that has been given to us? This is where a culture of discipleship starts. This is where a culture of expecting God to be at work begins. This is where we commit ourselves to being on the same mission to see God glorified in our church and in our community and in our world. What would it look like if we developed this type of habit now that we're separated so that way when we gather together, whenever that is, whenever we're able to do that, that when we gather together, the, the conversations that fill this facility all focus or, or primarily focus on the fact that God is at work in our midst that we delight in how God is revealing himself to us, that he is speaking to us, that we join together around God's word, that we are intentional in praying for one another, for the spread of the gospel, to spurring one another on to love and good deeds and obedience to the sake of the gospel, that we grow in our self-sacrificial commitment to one another and to the gospel. Make gospel fellowship central and your relationship with other Christians. That's what Paul is talking about here in this beginning of this passage, verses 3 through 8. And after the thanksgiving, he transitions to this prayer. And in this prayer, he's praying a petition. He's asking God for something for the church in Philippi, in verses 9 through 11. That's our second key that we see here in this passage, uh, where this this genuine fellowship in, in the church comes from. It's simply this, pray that you and others would abound in love. Pray that you and others would abound in love that is rooted in the gospel. Paul, his prayer here is astonishingly simple and yet it is unbelievably rich. Let's go ahead and work our way through it. Verses nine through 11 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is Paul praying for here? Well, we see it right there at the very beginning of verse 9. Paul is praying for the church in Philippi to do what? He's praying that they would grow in love. Paul doesn't give them an object, and this letter speaks about how we are to grow in love toward God and we're to grow in love toward one another. He, he does so because that is the key to Christian fellowship. It's to grow in our love for God and it's our, to grow in our love for one another. 1 John reminds us that love for God must be displayed in our love for others. And no matter how great this church in Philippi was, There's always room for improvement, isn't there? There's always room to grow in love, to abound in love more and more. Now, notice that this love isn't some sappy emotionalism. It's actually a commitment. Paul is calling them to an act of of self-sacrifice that he describes to this church, or he has already described, about the Philippians in verse 5. It's this other-centeredness that we see from Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. It's this petition that as the Philippians continue to grow in relationship with one another, they would also grow in, in loving one another and in going out of their way to love one another and serve one another. Now, this, this love doesn't have an object, but it, but is It's qualified in verse 9 with a second petition. This love is meant to be guided by knowledge and discernment. Love is meant to be guided by knowledge and discernment. Paul is not asking that they would just increase in this sentimentalism like the Beatles. All we need is love. All you need is love. Now gospel love must be guided by wisdom by knowledge, by discernment. Knowledge on its own is inadequate. Even the best attempts to love others can be misapplied if we aren't wise and discerning. So Paul prays that the church in Philippi would abound in love and that this love would be coupled by knowledge, that that they would grow in knowing one another, that they would grow in knowing God, knowledge, but also that this love would be discerning, that this would be wisdom. And and wisdom is certainly something that we need today, isn't it? As we seek how we can best love one another during this season of COVID-19, wisdom is so essential. How do we love well? And that's Paul's prayer for the church, that they would grow in love, but that love would be coupled with knowledge and also discernment. I love the way one friend told me years ago, Uh, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. He said, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. And that's exactly what is on display here. We don't want to just be filled with this idea of knowledge, of of knowing things, but also how does that apply right here, right now, as we are scattered, as some of us are are being laid off and, and losing our sources of income, how do we love well? How do we apply love to the relationships that, Surround us. Paul prays that the church in Philippi would abound with love more and more, but that love would be coupled with a knowledge and a discernment, knowing how to apply love, how to love one another well in our lives. Last two verses tell us why. Why should we pray for love to abound in ourselves and in others more? And more three reasons. First, in verse ten, abounding in love creates right living right now. It creates right living right now. Paul prays that the church in Philippi might be able to approve what is excellent. And I, I love the way other um, translations put this. They basically say approve what is best. The hardest thing for Christians is not necessarily deciding between what is right and wrong, but deciding what is between deciding between what is good and what is best. And that's what Paul is saying here. When we are seeking to love one another, that's where discernment comes in, where wisdom comes in, not to dis- differentiate between right, wrong and, and right, but instead to know what is the best way to love someone well. What is the most important thing that I can be doing right now? He doesn't want the, the church in Philippi to, to be lackluster in their faith. He doesn't want them to be okay with this sterilized version of Christianity. He prays that their love would grow in knowledge and discernment and that they would know what is best. And knowing what is best, that they would pursue that. Right living right now is a life that passionately pursues God. It also knows God. What is the best way to do that? So that's our first reason why we should pray this prayer. Second one is this: Not only does this abounding love, abounding in love create right living for us, but it also prepares us for the return of Jesus. It prepares us for the return of Jesus. Paul tells us that cultivating this selfless love, He's going to tell us in, in chapter 2, and we get to that in a couple of weeks, he's going to tell us that we're actually acting like Christ. We're emulating Christ when we are selfless and loving toward other people. And as we become more and more like Jesus, as we increasingly reflect him in our love and our knowledge and discernment, we are, we're becoming more and more like him, and we're, we're ready for his return. The reality is, and Paul lives in light of this, the church in Philippi lived in light of this as well, Jesus is coming back. So why wouldn't we do everything that we can to be ready to love others the way Jesus desires us to love others? Final reason why we should love and pray for love is simply this, that abounding in love ultimately gives glory to God. It ultimately gives glory to God. God receives glory when our fellowship in in the church is more than just surface level, but instead it's centered on the gospel and that we are going out of our way, that we are sacrificially loving others and we we are pursuing the best way to do that. God receives much glory. And isn't that the perfect way to end? to end with the glory of God. The reality is when we are committed to the gospel, when we are rooting our relationships in the gospel, when we are seeking to grow in love and and praying that others would grow in love as well, God is glorified. And in this season of being scattered, we have a real opportunity to consider how we build relationships that last. Relationships that last are rooted in the gospel and grow in love. So seek out ways that you can center your relationships with other, other Christians in the church on the gospel and, and on this partnership in the gospel, this type of fellowship, this shared goal, this shared vision, being on mission together. Remember that we are united not in, in shared interests or, or similar stages of life, but instead in the work that Jesus has done for us and that it is finished. That he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Let us be a people that are united in the gospel. But also, let us be a people that pray for one another to grow in love, to grow in serving one another, to actively pray that God would be glorified in us as we seek the best, as we seek to be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness for the day of Jesus Christ. Right now, we have a wonderful opportunity before us. As we find ourselves in this season of of crisis, really, how will our church respond? Will we build a culture of discipleship? Will we be intentional about being on mission together, having this shared goal, this shared vision to see the gospel spread in our community and the surrounding communities to the ends of the earth? Will we be a people who expect God to be at work? Will we be a people who expect God to be working in our lives and in the lives of others? It can start today. Relationships that last are rooted in the gospel and grow in love. Let's pray. Lord, as I consider this text, I'm just, I I confess I'm convicted. I, I see my relationship with other believers and how, compartmentalized it can be at times. And I ask for forgiveness for that. I pray that we would be a people who expect you to be at work in our midst. That we would be a people that expect to grow in righteousness. Righteousness. Bearing fruit for the day of Christ's return. I pray that we would be a people who are partnered in the gospel for Jesus' sake. Help us, Lord. Help us to build a habit that starts today. and goes on into eternity. Help us to build relationships that last, that honor you, and spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.